another week, another episode, and another interview. And it's a good one, too. So be sure to stay tuned in to the Indie Ball Report podcast. back again another week of independent league baseball in the books or at least that's what we should be saying as it should be opening weekend yesterday we should have been in somerset watching a game on what would have been a very nice night for baseball and today we should be discussing if we want to do that again but instead we are not instead we are still in some sort of a makeshift quarantine and there is still a pandemic going on around us and we still have no end in sight to any of this you know, it's been a great week. It's been a great yeah, week. And it's it's been a week. It's been a week, much like the one before it, and I'm sure the ones that'll come. But uh, you know, I, it's yeah, it certainly hit me yesterday when uh, you posted some stuff and the Patriots posted some stuff about opening day, and that was certainly uh, certainly hits you a little bit to go, wow. You know, we should be we should be watching some baseball right now, but instead we're uh, trapped inside. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, hopefully. Hopefully come July, we have baseball again, and if we do, then we'll have some stuff to discuss. If we don't, then, well, we'll have to figure something out here, but only time will tell that answer. I suppose now we can kind of cut down to business and talk about what we got on tap. We got a a slathering of news, nothing that's terribly pressing, nothing that's of, I'd say, the most imminent importance, a bunch of minor things, really. It's been a fairly quiet week, so... That's almost like all quiet on the Western Front here, which always <laughs> signals disaster when there's no noise. But, oh, yeah. But we do have a very good interview from Carson Lee. This is another one that I had done. And I, frankly, I thought a lot of what he had to say was uh, very interesting. Uh, there, was a whole, there was a whole slew of stuff there, which we'll play the interview in just a few moments uh, so you guys can listen to that. What, what were some of the things that uh, you were thinking about this interview just before we get into that? Well, before we get into it, I just think that it's the his perspective is what's really interesting to me. It's a guy who's just been around a lot of baseball, you know, and that type of perspective is something that really is important for people to understand. You know, there's some stories at the end that are really good. And, you know, I just think there's a whole lot going on there that he talks about that you don't you don't always get right. You get a really interesting perspective of what not only independent league baseball is, Pagos League, all that, but really all the way up on through uh to even the highest levels of like major league baseball you get an interesting look at that as well so i think this is a really all-encompassing interview that's uh you know very interesting and yeah i thought it was really good overall you know i I agree with that i think his mindset is is very interesting i thought also a lot of just what he had to had to kind of say about the importance of routines to him was something that was important and and a lot of his talk about uh, playing d1 ball and that whole this take on the Pecos League was also something of interest to me as well, but we'll discuss all that and more in depth after the interview. So without further ado, here is our interview with Carson Lee of the Pecos League slash 1% Athletics. All right, so we're back now. Again, another interview, one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time here. We have another former ball player, a former Division One ball player, and a guy who has a lot of interesting things to say. We now welcome Carson Lee to the show. How's it going, man? I'm glad to uh, 
I'm glad to be here, and I'm, I'm uh, super excited for, for this episode. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you on. We've been looking forward to this. I know we've been talking for a while, and I think when you first contacted me, we still didn't have the phone going. So now that we finally got this going, it's been a great lifeline. So hey, I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, exactly, man. I know I'd contacted you a few weeks ago, kind of when all this virus stuff happened. So it's nice to finally be able to, to link up together. So yeah. I'm looking forward to, to this episode. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the best place to kind of start for the for the whole interview is to pick up kind of in the beginning of where we're going to we're gonna start. And I'm going to talk a little bit about your time at uh, Prairie View A&M, playing at a Division One school. You played there for three years or four years, correct? Yeah, I was there. I was there for three years. Um, my second year, I actually got hurt fifth game, fifth game of our season. Mm. It was actually right at, we played Texas A&M, um, and we had gone down to the Valley in, uh, South Texas and I was playing right field and shallow fly ball and me and the second baseman collided. And, uh, I actually ended up getting hurt, blew, blew out my MCL, partially tore my ACL. And so... You know, obviously my season was over from right right there, so I ended up going back to Prairie View that next year, um, which was my third year. Graduated, did all that stuff. What was that kind of like playing that Division One ball during that oh, time? Oh man, it, it, it was it was awesome. Um, you know, we were we were a smaller conference um, in, in Division One, but our non conference games we still played Texas A and M, Texas. Uh, Oklahoma State, Baylor, you know, all the big name schools. Um, so it was a cool experience because you're still, you know, even though you may not be at that prestigious school or whatever, um, just being able to still play against them and play against those guys that, you know, are ended up getting drafted and all that. And then on the weekends, you're still, you're still playing D1 baseball. Um, so it was, it was an awesome experience. I know like my very first year at Prairie View, uh, when we played A&M, this is when, I don't know if, if you guys remember, but a couple of years ago, they started off the season like 27-0, and 0, something crazy like that. Yeah. Well, we played them on win number 19, and it was St. Patrick's Day. It was a Wednesday night, and yeah. uh, just the atmosphere that night was was insane. It was, it was a sold-out crowd um, from, you know, left field grass to the right field grass. It's Many people just crammed in there as there could be. It was it was just unbelievable. They had I think twelve guys ended up getting drafted off that team that year. Wow. Yeah, those are the kind of things, man. That that you know made D one just so so cool to to play in those kind of atmospheres in front of those those schools and that talent. Yeah, no, it's almost like playing kind of almost a semi pro, where you have this yeah. whole big experience. You have these giant stadiums. You have these tight crowds that are all just all about baseball there on such a high level before you actually start. Uh, really, the only difference is, at least from the outside looking in, is that you guys just aren't getting paid for it. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's a great way to put it because, you know, it's you're playing at such a high level and you're playing with so many guys that do end up playing professionally. It is kind of, kind of like a... Uh, I guess get you prepared for the next level just because it is it is such a high level just the atmosphere that that's created like you said you know the only only difference is really you're not getting paid um but other than that you know the facilities are still nice you're still traveling by bus 
and all those kind of things. So it is definitely very similar. It's, it's definitely a stepping stone or, or kind of get you prepared to see if, um, even really in the sense of just seeing if that's what you want to do. If you can, if you can handle baseball every day while, you know, college is a little bit different than professionally as far as you're not playing every day, but just, you know, going through the routine of practice every day and then playing, uh, you know, four or five games a week definitely, definitely kind of makes you think, you know, is this really what I want to do and, and something I want to pursue? You have, you definitely have to love it. Yeah, no, then you hit on something I wanted to talk about, which is the routine of playing at such a high level. What was that routine kind of like? Man, for me, I'm a big routine guy. Um, I, I really believe in, especially like in the off season, kind of, kind of my yeah. mindset is that the, the success, the success that you're going to have next year completely depends on how you prepare yourself in, you know, October, November, December, like those months leading in. That's to me, if if you prepare yourself correctly in those months, you're already setting yourself up for success. And then once the games comes, it's just going out there and, um, you know, kind of, uh, letting your natural ability just kind of take over. Um, so for me, I'm definitely a big guy that's big on, you know, being prepared and, and kind of a routine in the off season, it's, it's more just making sure I'm eating, eating healthy, you know, watching my calories, getting vegetables, fruits, um, staying away from processed foods as much as I can. Um, you know, getting my daily workouts in stretching and then getting my baseball work, work done. And I try, you know, I do that six, seven days a week. I really don't take off days. Like, you know, they say you need to do in season, uh, you know, I like to continue to work out just to keep my body strong, um, get to the field early and, and just go through my hitting routine, get um, early ground balls and then BP and get ready for the game. See, that's the thing that's also very important. Like you're saying, that having a routine, the road to success starts at the last day of the previous season that you have to be going from day one to day end and then from day end to start date. Because that exactly. work you put in shows off later on. Exactly. The way I, I like to look at it is playing indie ball, you're already behind the eight ball. Um, mm. You know, guys that are already in affiliated ball or guys that are, you know, playing in the big leagues, they can afford, well, I don't know. In my eyes, you can never afford to take time off. But I just, for example, pur- purposes for them being, the position that they're in, they can afford to kind of take a little bit of time off because they're, they're have a lot more security in their jobs versus when you're at the very bottom at the totem pole, you have to use every, every day that you can to get better, to prepare yourself for, you know, the next season and continue to try to produce and move up. Um, so yeah, in my eyes, I don't really see a reason to take a month off whenever I get home or two months off. It's, you got to get back into it and start going because you're already behind the eight ball from everybody else. Exactly. Plus the more time you take off in between playing games and then going back into practicing in the routine, the harder it gets to want to go back into that routine. You start to get complacent. So by just keeping in the routine, keeping in the grind of it, you never have the opportunity to get complacent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause you always know what you're doing every day and you're kind of just, you know, in that, that go mode. I think, you know, like I'm probably, one of many guys that right now this time period just with the virus like it has me all kind of screwed up because i don't really it's kind of hard to have a routine right now 
just not having access to the gym and food being limited at the grocery store and kind of being limited on where you can actually go and get stuff done. It's changing nonstop. So kind of not having that routine like right now, man, I'm going stir crazy because I'm not used to having that structure throughout my day, but also just not having baseball. Like I've for as since I was five years old, I've had baseball spring, summer and fall. And now to, you know, this is usually the time that I'm mentally already there for baseball. And now like I'm there, but we don't have baseball. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely really weird. Exactly. It's just hard to get locked in there. And I definitely hear what you're saying because it's just you're used to it. Like, okay, the weather's starting to get warm. The calendar switched over to April. I should be getting ready for for camp. I should be getting ready for games. And now we're nearly into May and there's no end on this, like on the horizon, at least if you, we had a start date, like, okay, we're going to start July 1. You go, okay, so it's, I can get mentally prepared for that. But with there being an indefinite date of when this could end, it makes everything a lot harder, especially training. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, for me, it's just it's just trying to stick to those routines as much as I can and trying to know that, you know, some days I'm not going to be able to get as much done as some. Like right now, you know, I'm working I'm working out at my uh, my cousin's gym uh, or his garage gym that you know his dad you know had set up and he's uh he's a freshman in college so he's younger than me but you know but because i'm using his gym it's kind of a lot of times on his schedule or or just when he he can do it so you know some days i may not be getting a workout in or or i kind of have to alter my workout so yeah i mean it definitely you know it's it's trying to just stick to as much normal as possible because like you said right now you know i'm in baseball mode but i'm expecting to be outside in this beautiful weather playing baseball yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's weird for like for about me, the weekend's going to be in the sixties and seventies, which is wonderful weather for this time of year around here. And it's just weird not having a baseball game to go to. But yeah. And, and you have so many up there to choose from too. So, you know, normally you'd, you'd have somewhere to go. Oh yeah. And now it's just, yeah. Now it's just the waiting game where you're like, okay, I, I just want something back. Yeah, just give me some form of entertainment. Exactly. There's nothing. It's desolate. It's weird to be in the shadow of New York and have nothing to do whatsoever. But yeah, that's I, I can't even imagine that just just with how big and crazy New York is. Like that's just like it's a it's an eerie eerie feeling down south, but I can yeah. only imagine, you know, like those videos I've seen of like Las Vegas and stuff where it's just quiet and nobody out. It's just it's so weird to see places like that. Oh, yeah, no, it's weird. Not to go on too much of a tangent, but when they started showing images of Times Square and, like, Broadway Row, I was just looking at that and seeing nobody on it. It was just so weird. I was like, whoa, th- this is yeah. something that this almost never happens. But, yeah. But uh, in any case, let's transition back over to baseball. After you, after you finished uh, at Prairie View, you jumped into the Pecos League and were there for three years. So I was wondering if you could kind of uh, describe what your experience was like in the Pecos League, because I know I've heard the whole gamut of experiences in that league. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to try. I'm going to be as try to be as yeah, twisting my tongue here. I'm yeah. going to try to be as truthful as possible, um, as transparent. You know, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to dog anybody, but I. Yeah. I kind of going to just say my experience and, and what I think. Uh, but, you know, for me, I've been there three years. And honestly, like, I've actually had a very good experience in the league. Um, a lot of the things people have said, 
that goes on, I haven't witnessed a lot of it. A lot of the stuff that I kind of see that's, that's been talked about was mm. stuff from the past and the, the league has actually evolved. Um, you know, my first year I was in Monterey and that was a great experience, um, uh, playing in Monterey, California. I mean, if you, I had never been there until I played up there, but it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. The weather's gorgeous. The scenery, just the little town, it's beautiful, you know, but my first year, you know, I, I got paid every week or every other week, whatever the pay schedule, yeah. I can't remember. Um, you know, but I had direct deposit, so it was going straight into my bank account. Um, you know, we played in, in nice stadiums, uh, being Adelanto and Bakersfield. They were beautiful. They had just gotten out of affiliated ball. Yeah. You know, obviously the only downside was the travel because um, mm. you're driving yourself, especially us being in Monterey. We're four hours away from Bakersfield and High Desert, and uh, we can only play in Monterey on weekends. Now, the one thing I did experience that first year that was kind of like a downside was, you know, I showed up to High Desert. I left Sunday from Houston and drove all the way. It was actually Father's Day. My dad went with me, drove all the way to High Desert to meet the team to play to play that night. We got there on Tuesday. Okay. And my manager is saying, you know, hey, um, you know, I'll get you a host family for when you get get uh, back up to Monterey. We'll get that all taken care of. Mm. Well, next thing you know, get back to Monterey and still haven't gotten a host family taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just it never got done. And luckily for me, <laughs> this yeah. is crazy, but it's actually like I look back on it and it was yeah. so cool to be able to share this with my dad. But yeah. luckily for me, my dad ended up staying the rest of the month that summer because um, he, yeah. he had heard about our J- J- July 4th game yeah. in Tucson. And so he was like, you know, I want to I want to see that because it was we had like 10,000 people there. It was insane. Yeah. And uh, so he stayed for that. And then he was already planning on coming back at the end of the summer with my mom. So after yeah. July 4th, he's like, well, if I went home, I'd only be home for like a week. So I might as well stay. So I was fortunate enough to have him there to, to be able to, you know, he yeah. kind of took care of everything. That was the only bad thing. My first year, you know, my second year I go to California city and, you know, besides really just where, you know, being in California city, I mean, this it's, the city is in the middle of the desert. Like you're just driving. Uh-huh. That's horrible. and there's a city there. Yeah, yeah. it was it, it was horrible. You know, it's like 115 degrees every day. You're playing at a little city park. Yeah. But, you know, even that that year, the league was perfect the way it operated, like got treated great. Um I had a host family that was great, got paid. Everything was was taken care of, it was run professionally. And then this past year I was in Garden City. And this was my first time being on the, was it, I think the mountain side. Yeah. Uh, cause I know the California side is like the Pacific or something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm on the original side with all the original teams. And, you know, this year got treated great. Once again, I had a host family, you know, was taken yeah. care of as far as facility wise, um, you know, with garden, I think garden has one of the nicest setups, turf field. Um, they get good crowds. We got paid. I think the only thing that that makes that side tough is the travel. The travel is really is really far. You know, for us, our shortest trip was Trinidad, Colorado, which yeah. is only four hours. But 
the way they do the schedule where you play home away, home away, home away, oh. and then you go somewhere else, you know, yeah. driving four hours every other day, like it gets old. So, but you know, other than that, I mean, once again, this year, you know, I was treated great. I had everything I needed to, to be able to, you know, live and uh, play baseball at the same time. Uh, you know, competition has been good all three years. Hmm. So yeah, you know, that, that's just from my perspective kind of brief you know we can obviously dive in deeper um that's just kind of a brief explanation of everything yeah no that's just been the general consensus i've been getting from people we've talked on the show is that it's a hundred percent a grind league you have to be willing to grind it out in that league and that from the guys that played in by and large from what we've had on it's been a lot different from what people have told me in private which is it's very interesting for me to see how I don't want to say they're conflicting, but how different people are when they're sending me DMs and stuff from how people come on and talk about it, you know? Yeah, you know, and I think because you know, obviously, you know, I, I'm a I'm big with Joe. I'm a big Joe Tory guy. Yeah. Uh, go down to Florida with him, and you know, when he has guys down there that are rookies or whatever, you know, are young and they're kind of asking about the Pecos League, they always kind of tell me the same thing. Well, like I've heard this and I heard that. Um, my thing, really the only thing way I could see it is because each city is just so different from, from one another that I think some cities have better amenities basically than, than others. Whereas, you know, like the year I was in Cal city, um, we struggled to get host families for everybody. I know there was like one house that someone like donated. It was like their rent house and they donated it. And we had like six guys living in there, I think. Whereas this last year in garden, we got host families with no problem. I think everyone had a host family and every host house was two or three guys deep. So, you know, I think what I've kind of learned is it really is all dependent on what market you're in. Some markets are going to be better than others. Um, You know, I know Joe, I think it was Joe said this on the episode he was on mm. about how, you know, there's obviously some guys that, that aren't really, I guess, shouldn't be in the league or, yeah, they, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. They kind weren't of prepared like the, for the, it. Yeah. Like just the lower, lower echelon, I guess, which, you know, I don't know. It's professional baseball. It's cutthroat. So, you know, it's kind of true. If you're, if you're not prepared for this level, you don't need to be here. You know, I mean, it's kind of rude to say, but like, it's the truth at the same time. But those like those market teams where you had a lot of those guys on, those are where you hear a lot of the horror stories come from versus, you know, I know Bakersfield's always well taken care of. Garden, Mm -hmm. we were taken care of. Trinidad, Alpine, like those places all have nice setups where you're taken care of very well. Um so I think, you know, just from talking to guys, I think it all just comes down to personal experience and kind of depending on where you're at and, you know, year to year, kind of what you encounter. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like it, it varies by location here, especially like you're saying, because some teams have better accommodations for players than others. And obviously playing in the middle of a desert is a lot more difficult than, you know, playing in Bakersfield, California. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and I've heard before that, this is, you know, just kind of hearsay, but that typically the league wants those lower market teams to not do good yeah. because he kind of, they kind of just want them there for geographical reasons. Like I know for Cal City, like 
one of the hotels we stayed in was right next door to the city. So we were kind of like a central point for everybody yeah. that they could come play us and they can go play high desert and Bakersfield right afterward. Cause they could stay at the hotel. So, you know, I know some cities are kind of like done by that geographically or, or whatever, like kind of just there to help out the league. But I mean, I remember that being said the year I was in Cal city, it was said that we were supposed to be the, you know, the, the runt of the league or, you know, the, the ugly duckling, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. we weren't supposed to have success. We were kind of just there to make everything function. And that's why we weren't getting taken care of as far as host families and stuff. And next thing you know, we come and make the playoffs. And really, we were like four outs away from being Bakersfield, who went on to win it. We blew two mm-hmm. leads in back-to-back games. So, you know, we were in line to, to win and kind of be the team that wasn't supposed to win, but we were going to and, yeah. and kind of defy what the league wanted. So I think some of that kind of play, plays into it as well. You know, but like I said, coming, coming from me, I've had a great experience. I know guys that have played in the league have had great experiences. You know, it's yeah. really a shame that the league gets as bad of a rep as it does because yeah. I think for me what I noticed is that more than anything, like – it kind of hurts the players, the way players are perceived, especially by people that don't really know the league and they kind of just hear all this stuff. But even I think with coaches, you know, like in, in other leagues, I don't think our stats are as well respected as, you know, if you went to go play in the Empire or the Pacific. So it, it kind of like it does suck that, that there is such a bad image of it. Hmm. But I guess, you know, hopefully going forward, that can change. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you're, you're definitely right with that people look at the players and the coaches differently because of the way the league is perceived, which is totally not the case. You guys that are playing in the Pecos League are quality ball players. I mean, a lot of you guys go on to have a lot of success. It, it's proven. It just look at where they go. And when you look at the reputation of it and how people perceive it, it's not a fair adjustment there. And I think part yeah. of the reason, too, that the Empire League does have a bit more of a respected reputation is just because of where they're located you know they're right kind of yeah. in, they're a lot more centrally located to a lot of these indie ball teams so it's easier yeah, to exactly. see them in person and whatnot yeah and they can and they can just they can push the players you know to all those places they don't have to worry about travel you know mm-hmm. and that, that's the nice thing it's easy to create an opportunity yeah right there but, yeah exactly but uh, yeah, no. So I I'm, I do want to just talk a little bit about the time you played with uh, Selena and you did the little bit of the Can Am tour. Yeah, man. So that was that was uh, the year I was in Cal City. Um, it was right at the beginning of the season. You know, went up there. I was on the the Canadian side, and that was it was an awesome experience. <laughs> just that was the first time I'd ever been to Canada. Yeah. And so just Canada alone was, was pretty cool. I, I, the, it was a great country. I loved, um, we went to Ottawa, mm-hmm. uh, three rivers and Quebec and all three cities were incredible playing in Canada. Like in those stadiums was, was awesome because everything was, was, uh, in French, you know? Yeah. So like when we were in Ottawa, um, I have it recorded on my Instagram where, you know, they're announcing me to come up to the plate and they announced me in English. And then turn around and announce it in French. Um, so it was pretty cool just playing in like that different culture. And then obviously just, you know, that higher competition like that, you know, playing, we played in Quebec and this is kind of where, you know, going back earlier in the podcast, talking about AM, kind of preparing yeah. you for those moments. We played Quebec 
on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. And Friday night, the, they have like a beer garden in left field, and it's yeah. probably about 40 yards long, I'd say. Okay. It's pretty big. And, you know, starting the game, the beer garden is packed shoulder to shoulder. So we're all warming up, and all these people are yelling stuff at us in French. Yeah. And then first pitch comes, and the stadium is sold out shoulder to shoulder. Just all these people come out to an indie ball game, you know, just for the, for the weekend. And it was, it was awesome. It was such a cool experience. Uh, Quebec has by far been my favorite place I've ever played baseball at just from the atmosphere and, uh, like the stadium presentations to go along with the game and then just, just, uh, the field itself. Um, it was incredible. You know, Quebec's one place that I've always wanted to go to. Obviously, not being able to speak French is something that's been kind of spooking me off from that. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, just... you got to do you got to do like what I did. I use I just used Google Translate and I had it on everywhere I went, and I yeah. would just translate whatever I was trying to say and try to pronounce it correctly to whoever I was talking to or trying to communicate with. But yeah, that's the the French thing is definitely a big language barrier. Oh yeah, no, I've been, I've been joking with my one friend because he did uh, a study abroad for a couple of years in France. I was like, if we go, I need to bring you with me to translate everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it was actually because when we were in Ottawa, we heard that they were like, when y'all go to Quebec, it's going to be a culture shock because it's like super French there. But from what I thought was, yeah. Three Rivers was actually a lot more of a French town than Quebec was because when we got to Quebec. It seemed like it was more touristy than anything. Maybe it might have just been kind of the area we were in. But people, you know, understood English and and could could hold a conversation in English. Whereas in Three Rivers, it was straight French everywhere you went. Like you you had to you had to know French. It's probably because Quebec is one of the uh, one of the largest. I think it's probably like the second largest in Quebec itself, like the whole province, with them in Montreal. Yeah, that, so. that 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 might have something to do with it. Just that's just maybe how it's perceived and stuff, yeah. and how big it is. Yeah, they probably get more just tourists and stuff coming through this. Like, uh, I guess we kind of know English too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, yeah, no, Quebec, Quebec too is a very from at least what I can see from the outside looking in, seems like a very well-ran organization. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Definitely think so. And that's why I think that's why they were always one of the top teams in the Can-Am year after year, yeah. um, you know, and put together a good team. Oh, yeah. No, they won like half of the Can-Am League titles. I mean, they were like the, they're like the Bulls. But, yeah. <laughs> the, but. uh, yeah, no, but just generally speaking, the whole the whole trip though in Canada, it was just that great of an experience overall. Like with each uh, each stop. Oh, I mean, it's it's it was so great that it makes me want to go back and play for one of those Canadian teams. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know you know Ottawa, obviously yeah. not being there this year, just being uh, Quebec and and Three Rivers. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that's you know. Just the experience alone was so cool. Being able to immerse, immerse yourself in that culture, just because it is so, it's so different than ours. It's, it's really kind of hard to explain. Just, I think the language bar- barrier is a big thing that made it different for me because it was just so yeah. unique. It's a beautiful place. The people are nice, cool, hearing the language spoken, spoken everywhere. So definitely one of the top places I'd like to go back to. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's an awesome place to be. But and also supposedly though, Ottawa may be coming back. I'm I'm not sure how much that has uh, 
it's odds have changed on that since the whole pandemic happened, but hopefully they get a team back too. And there's more teams going north of the border too. Cause I think that they could definitely support uh, more than just the three or four teams that they have. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I know I've kind of been hearing things about the Ottawa deal since we played, actually played up there that series um, just about them trying to find, you know, someone to, to take over the team and, and hopefully be able to stay in that stadium because the stadium was beautiful. Um, it was the Expo's old AAA stadium. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a beautiful place. Um, the, it's just the condition of the field was, was prime condition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how with the MLB cutting a lot of these minor league teams out, how that's going to affect indie ball and if that's going to either create new leagues or create expansion within leagues um i don't know how many teams got cut in canada mm. i think there might have been a few but i know that there were some in the northeast and within within the midwest kind of in the american association era area yeah. but um you know i'm kind of wondering how that's going to affect us or if it does affect us at all yeah I, that's one thing i i know me and my co-host is not here at the moment we're talking a lot about and we're, we're going to talk about again obviously going forward but I see it going really one of two ways. Either I could see these markets immediately saying we have an open baseball stadium. We need something here. So we need to try and get whatever team in and then seeing a lot of like Frontier League and, uh, and American Association teams kind of flocking to it. Or I could see maybe more uh, summer leagues and things like that coming in. Yeah. Which, yeah, I could definitely, you know, see the summer leagues just because uh, they're able to, to make so much more money from what it sounds like. Um, I know like a lot like those frontier teams that, that went to the Northwoods league yeah. just because it'd be, you know, it wouldn't cost as much. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how indie ball is going to, going to go forward and, and be able to continue to survive and thrive. Hopefully. Yeah, I know. Really. The big thing is just making sure that none of the indie ball teams are rumored to jump to MILB actually jump to MILB. I mean, that wouldn't be a great sign if you start losing teams to them, but uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's, and they already, um, I don't know if you saw the article, I'm sure you did, mm. but about uh, St. Paul and Sugarland both going yeah. uh, to become, you know, affiliated teams. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. Exactly. I know Sugarland, I believe, was their GM or executive vice president. Someone that was fairly high up there said, we, we have no interest in going to MILP. We're flattered to be offered, but we, we have no interest in it. So I'm not yeah, sure. and yeah. you know, being in the shadow, being in the shadow of the Astros, I really don't see why they would do it. Yeah, um, truthfully, exactly. um, especially kind of where the where the stadium is located in proximity to Houston. It'd be interesting to watch out, de- watch to see what happens there. Definitely, but uh, I think with with that being said, we could kind of navigate it back to you personally here, and I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the one percent athletics that you're involved with. Yeah, man. So, uh, 1% athletics is, it's actually my brand. It's, um, you know, 1% athletics is about inspiring people to get, you know, 1% better every day, um, to have that mindset and attack your life that way and kind of live that lifestyle. Cause I, too often I kind of see people like when they talk about their goals or like what they want to achieve, they're thinking, they always, you know, say like, well, this is it. Um, you know, 50 steps down the line and, they start working towards it and then it, it kind of ends up not working out and they get discouraged, but it's because they're thinking of it 
in the sense of a big picture of the end goal versus if they just took it day by day, step by step, got 1% better, basically, you know, every day, you'll see how that culminates um, at the very end where, where you achieve whatever it is you were, you were working for. And this is something for me that this mindset kind of started when I was in high school, actually, mm-hmm. you know, I've truthfully never really been that talented. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's always been work ethic and hard work that has gotten me anything that, that I've had in my career. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have, you know, fantastic coaches around me to be able to, to absorb knowledge from Mo- most importantly, my dad being one of them. Uh, you know, he had a baseball organization in Houston, um, for like 30 years, coached a few major leaguers, just, he had so much knowledge that thankfully I was able to grow up and learn from, but me applying that knowledge is what allowed me to get to where I wanted to get to. So when I was in high school, um, knowing that I was not the most talented guy, um, you know, my, my train of thought was, okay, how can I get better than this guy next to me today? What, what can I do that's going to separate me? And for me, that's when I started learning kind of about routines, like we were talking about earlier, mm. um, routines, learning how to prepare, learning how to take care of my body as far as eating right, stretching, you know, working out at a young age, kind of just doing all those little things that I figured nobody else, you yeah. know, was doing. And that would set me apart. It kind of just, I kind of just continued to be that person. That's who I am. It, I developed a work eth- work, work ethic. Um, you know, when I was in junior college, I was always the first guy at the field and the last one to leave. I got redshirted my freshman year, which kind of gave more fuel and, and, and persona to the 1% mindset. For me, it was, I felt like I could have taken it two ways. I could have taken it negatively and, and, you know, pity me, like, it's not my fault, blah, 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 blah. Or I could have accepted it. You know, I'm getting redshirted. I need to come back stronger, put in work, blah, blah, blah. And that's what I did. And, and I used that time wisely. You know, I, I, because of kind of the situation, I was redshirted, but I was still practicing and traveling with the team as basically the, the emergency yeah. guy in case, you know, a bunch of people got hurt. Um, you know, I was getting daily work, inner squads and fungo playing with, with the big team or the team and yeah. still having to get work on my own, including go to the gym. Mm. And so we just kept growing and growing. And then a few years ago, I was telling my buddy, you know, I really want to turn 1% into something. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do like a motivational speaking, speaking thing about the 1% and how to get 1% better. I never went through with it. And I kind of, kind of backed out of it. Could never record the video without laughing. Yeah. And then about like a year and a half ago, I saw this video from, from someone I idolized and they kind of talked about just like getting off your butt and doing it and whatever you got to do, you know, don't let like, don't fear failure or anything like that. And so I was like, you know what, this is something I've been wanting to do. So screw it. I want to do it. I want to make a difference in people's lives and kind of inspire them to reach their goals the same way I have, because that's the only reason I've been able to play college baseball or professional baseball in any capacity was from my work, work ethic. And so that's what 1% is about. You know, I want to inspire people to be able to achieve what they want to achieve and, 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 uh, help them out. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I totally understand the minds here because there's so many people that go, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to have this kind of success. I think a lot of today people, they can't totally grasp that it's not going to happen overnight because they just kind of see the end results online. 
that it's planting yeah. with, see how much I did, see how little time it took me. It doesn't show you all the behind the scenes work. If you just get 1% better every day after three and a half months, you're 100% better than when you started. So it's, it's all those little things. And like you're saying, from all the coaches that we've talked to and all the people that help us player procurement, everybody says the same thing. I'll take a guy that has less talent but works harder than a guy with more talent. Yeah, exactly. Because you know that guy's going to show up and, and ready to go to work every day versus a guy that, that you know, talent has handed him everything and he might, um, you know, kind of choose when he wants to be there and when he doesn't. Um, so yeah, it's just something for me. It's kind of been one of my anchors in my life. It's kind of been my mindset of how I've approached everything. Um so, yeah, you know, I, I turned it into a brand. It's been going good so far. I've enjoyed doing it. I enjoy being able to connect with people and kind of change their mindset as well. Exactly. It, it totally helps. It helps shape the way people look at getting better. That's important to yeah. have and kind of that uh, end goal where you hope to be at. But it's all the little steps that are important. Plus, I'm sure a lot of people, when they when you're working towards that overarching goal and you face a new challenge that you're not quite sure you get over or you hit a new road bump you have some people that go it's not fair to me and then you also have some people that start doubting their own abilities they start going maybe i'm not good enough maybe there's just everyone else is just that much better than me and they start having that kind of inward doubt so it's important to have just those little milestone goals to say look you're you're capable of doing this you just got to keep you know your nose to the grindstone keep working hard and if you keep doing that at the end of the day you're going to like the result you get yeah, exactly. It kind of takes, you know, some of that stress away. Um, you know, like I was talking about, of, of, you're so focused on the end goal. Now, if I just focus on winning today or winning whatever I have to do that, that's going to make me better, now you're able to enjoy the journey. Take, you know, the small steps. And then that way, when you achieve that end destination of where you desire to be, it's going to be that more fulfilling. You know, like for me, it, I kind of see it with, with baseball because, I first played at Picos my first my first year. I kind of was so caught up in oh professional baseball. It's time to move up. Time to you know now we're trying to get to affiliate to get to the big leagues. Blah blah blah. Like I was so focused on that end goal that I had to change my perspective and learn how to enjoy just the journey. It's not it's not about the major leagues. It's just about playing for as long as you can and enjoying the memories and the friends that you make along the way and wherever that end destination's at, that's where it's at. So yeah, definitely when you kind of take that, 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 that approach, it takes a little bit of the stress and, and the thinking off of it and just focus on the day-to-day task. And you'll see how over time that consistency puts you where you want to be. Exactly. I mean that, and also the more you, str- especially in a baseball sense or in trying to accomplish something, stress, a sense, the more stress you have on you, the worse you're going to do because you start pressing and you start rushing. And then when you start rushing, you start making mistakes. And then when you start making mistakes, it snowballs. So it's important to just, like you say, focus on every day. Go, okay, if I accomplished this today, then it's a good day. I succeeded for today. Then I can do this tomorrow and just one day at a time. Yep, that's exactly it. You hit that right on the head. That's exactly what it is. So before we before we wrap everything up here, I do I have to bring this up because when I was doing research for the interview, I saw this and I feel like I'd be remiss <laughs> if I didn't mention it. But you were a, you were a bat boy with the Houston Astros. 
Yes. Uh, 2014, I was a bat boy for the uh, visitor's side. So it was for the Astros, but for the visitor's clubhouse. Greatest summer of my life. It was incredible. Yeah. What, what were just some of the experiences of, of working in the visitor's clubhouse for the Astros? Oh, man. I, I love I love talking about this. Yeah. So it, it's pretty cool because I I had a buddy that was a bat boy for the Astros when we were in high school. Yeah. And I always told him, like, dude, like, like, give me a job, like, like, hook me up. And he's like, well, I can try. But he's like, I don't think they'll hire you because we're friends and they don't want friends working together for, you know, the obvious reasons. Yeah. Well, then fast forward to this is after my sophomore year in college. Um, my sister's playing volleyball and Andy yeah. Pettit's at one of her games and he's talking to um, this guy, one of the dads on her team. Yeah. Well, my dad, knowing because we know Andy just from playing growing up, I played against yeah. his son, um, just the Houston area. So my dad goes over to this guy and says, "Hey, like, how do you know Andy?" And they get to talking, blah blah blah, and come to find out he's the clubhouse manager for the Astros. And so he tells my dad, like, you know, when your son gets home, if he wants a job, tell him to call me, He'll fill out an application, and we'll get him working. So I got home and pretty much foregone. Four go- uh, didn't even play summer baseball that year because I was yeah. like, man, I'm working for the Astros. I'm just going to do this. And so very first weekend is with uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I mean, I'm right. like, I'm shell-shocked because, you know, I'm in the, just in the locker room, uh, just seeing how guys go about their business, just um, seeing like at the time Goldschmidt and Aaron Hill, David Peralta, who's yeah. an indie ball guy that's yeah, now yeah. You know, on the show. Uh, just it, it was so I was so starstruck then the very next weekend because how we do it is there's like six or seven of us that work as clubbies basically picking okay. up towels um, the clothes that kind of stuff the laundry yeah. and then you have your guy that focuses on the kitchen a guy that focuses on laundry guy that focuses on the umpire room mm. and then for us the clubbies each series we rotate with who does the dugout yeah so I have I have two pretty cool stories for you all right. Um, first one is Tampa Bay comes into town the very next weekend okay. and my boss says, Hey, do you want to work the dugout? And I'm like, okay. So this is the first time I'm working the dugout. And so they send one of the other kids down with me and we're, uh, yeah. just sitting like kind of right next to the bat rack. There's this flat piece of wood and that's where we're sitting kind of like right in the entrance of the dugout. Yeah. And this is the weekend of father's day. So sitting there, this is like the Friday or Saturday game and David Price comes up to me and this is back when the, when the Rays were pretty loaded, they had Zobris, Longoria, you know, all those big name guys and Price. And he comes over to me and he's, he kind of just starts talking and I'm like kind of blowing him off because I'm like, because our, my boss was cool, but the assistant guy, he was kind of the enforcer and yeah, he was the, he's the one. Yeah, he's the one that would get mad. And so, you know, they run the TV stream in the in the locker room and they watch it and stuff. So I was kind of yeah. like hesitant. I was like, well, I don't want them to see me talking to David Price. And then yeah. I get fired two weeks on the job. So he, like, just keeps talking, talking, talking. I'm kind of, like, blowing him off. And so finally I was like, dude, like, I want to talk to you, but I'm afraid that my, my manager is going to see this and I'm going to get in trouble. And he's like, oh, dude, don't worry about it. He's like, if anything happens, I'll cover for you. Like, I'm not going to yeah. let that happen. So we're 
talking like back and forth, man, all nine innings. Oh. Um, and he's talking about everything from like his car collection, his shoe collection, his time yeah. at Vanderbilt. He's asking me, you know, what I do, where I play at. Um, coolest thing ever. Yeah. Oh, that's and so, so cool. He's, yeah, it was awesome. And so, <laughs> so I, this was this was the Friday game because now because I asked him, I said, "Were well, you pitching this weekend?" And he says, "Yeah, I'm pitching Sunday." And he's like, I got um, Father's Day cleats, you know, Jordans, they're blue and all that yeah. stuff. Because I remember joking around with him about that. Yeah. Well, the next day, uh, the Saturday game, I'm yeah. out in the outfield shagging for batting practice. Okay. And David's in center and, you know, everyone's throwing in a ball. And he throws one to me. And he kind of like whistles back at me, tells me to throw it back. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So I throw it back to him and I kind of mm-hmm. go back to shagging balls. And then he yells at me. He's like, hey, you know, kind of does universal. I'm going to throw you the ball sign. I'm like, all right, whatever. So catch it, throw it back to him. So Hmm. within like five or ten minutes, I'm playing catch with David Price. (laughs) And then he tells me, he says, get, he like tells me to get down. And he starts like throwing basically a mini bullpen to me in the, in the outfield during batting practice. He's throwing like change ups, curve balls, fastballs. They threw like 15, 20 pitches and, I'm just, you know, casually in the outfield catching them. So that was pretty cool. Like it was once in a lifetime kind of thing. Um, Once batting practice was over, I was like, yo, like, do you care if I get a picture? So we got the picture of the whole thing. Uh, I put it on Twitter and, you know, one of my buddies like commented back. He's like, oh, what are you talking about? You don't know David Price. And David tweet. Yeah. He tweeted at him and told him like, yo, like calm down. Me and Carson are boys, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Um, and then, so oh, the last story, just real quick, yeah. um, a few, I think, so come July, Boston comes to town and I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Yeah. And my boss knew it. And it just so worked out that the weekend that the Red Sox were in town was the weekend before I was going to Boston. I was going to Boston the very next weekend. Okay. And so Dustin Bedroy is my favorite player. And, uh, my boss, you know, calls me and he says, Hey, do you want to work the, the dugout for the Red Sox? I'm like, Of course I do. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He's like, Okay, we'll get here today at, you know, whatever time I had to be there, like one o'clock, I think. It's fairly early yeah. when you're working the dugout. So I'm getting there and I'm doing kind of my clubhouse duties, cleaning stuff up, getting stuff prepped. And he tells me I need to go pick something up from like the receiving, um, like some drinks and stuff. So I'm riding on the on the golf cart. And Dustin's walking down the, the back alley, you know, to uh, get to the, from the bus drop off. And from a distance, I can like kind of see him and I'm like, no, that's not him. It's not him. It's not him. And like my heart starts pounding. And then like right when I get up to him, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Dustin Pedroia. Like that's, this is the coolest thing ever. And yeah. he's like, what's up, man? How you doing? And I was like, like I oh. can barely get words out of my mouth. I was like, hey, Dustin, how's it going? <laughs> Um, uh, so, you know, long story short, go get the stuff, come back to the locker room. Um, so I ask my boss, I say, Hey, yeah. do you care if sometime this weekend I go up to Pedroia and just talk to him? And he's like, yeah, just make sure you do it at, you know, appropriate time. And so yeah. it was a Sunday game and they didn't take BP. So he's like getting dressed. So I go up to him like, Hey, Dustin, like, do you mind if I get a minute? And he, this is him at his locker and it's him and Napoli yeah. standing next to each other. He's like, yeah, like, yeah. like, what's up, dude? Like, what do you got? I was like, well, Hey, like, I just, I want to introduce myself. Um, you're my favorite player. And you know, I, while you were here, I just want to make sure I shook your hand and came over and introduced myself. 
And he's like, oh man, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, like, what's your name? Like, where are you from? Did the whole same thing, kind of, you know, getting to know me a little bit. Yeah. And he's like, you know, thanks for coming up to me. I appreciate you saying that. And so then about like 30 minutes later, he's walking down to go to the tunnel to go to the dugout. And yeah. I just so happen to be walking the same way. I'm carrying a bunch of like towels and stuff to the dugout. And so we're walking through the tunnel at the same time and he kicks up another conversation. Oh. like, so where are you going to school? Oh, you play baseball, you play second base, blah, blah, blah. So it was just, it was so cool because I met my idol yeah. and he was everything that, you know, I thought he would be. He didn't let, let me down. It was, it was the coolest experience. Yeah. And I still have a Jersey that I want to get signed by him yeah. and kind of like, you know, from that memory. Um, but yeah. then, you know, that night, so this is like right before the all-star break. Yeah. And that night I'm eating, I'm eating dinner and Daniel Nava was still in the clubhouse because his flight wasn't till that night. Okay. And so I'm eating and he's sitting at the dinner table and me and him just get to casually talking. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm actually going to Boston next weekend. And he's like, well, Hey, here's our equipment manager's number. Um, text him whenever you get to Boston and tell him to talk to me. I'm going to leave you BP. passes." Um, uh -huh. so that next weekend, yeah, next weekend, me and my dad, me and my dad went, we go up there and, you know, I text the guy and, and he's like, yeah, just tell him that you have BP passes from Daniel Nava. So we go up to the to ticket window, get the BP passes and go down to the field for BP. And Daniel comes over there, talks to me and my dad, you know, and got to sit there and, 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 uh, watch him take BP. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. So. Uh -huh. That, that was that was my time as a bat boy. It was it was incredible. That's just awesome, man. I mean, that, how many people can say, "Yeah, I threw a bullpen session with with an AL All Star MVP." Yeah, I mean, really. yeah, dude. It was that was it was surreal. And you know, I really I kind of I kicked myself because I didn't really take it in as much as I should have back yeah. then. But man, like looking back at it, like it was it was the best job in the world. You know, I just getting to see those big leaguers and it really see what actually goes on behind the scenes and just getting to talk to a lot of them. Like, you know, I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of that helped me with my baseball career. Just like the things I pick up on in the dugout or like listening to conversations or like guys being in the video room and stuff. Um, you know, it's so, like, I remember one day it was the weekend that, that the Rays were in town. Mm. Um, Longoria was facing Peacock, Brad Peacock. Peacock <laughs> strikes him out uh, on the first at bat. Uh, it was like a one-two count or something like that. Strikes him out on a curveball. He comes in the dugout, and he's saying, like, you know, he's going to come back again with the curveball. He's, like, reading the tendencies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, he goes back up there. His next at bat gets in the same count, one-two, and hits a bomb over the train tracks. <sighs> comes in the dugout and is talking about how, you know, I was sitting on the curveball because he struck me out on that the last time. And uh, yeah. so it was just like little things like that that I was able to pick up on, you know, that helped my baseball career. But then obviously also just being in the major league clubhouse, just that's not motivating enough, you know, to want to be the best you can be. So it was, it was pretty awesome, man. It, it was surreal. I mean, I, I can only imagine man. that that is that is amazing. Like everything about that just sounds like, like the, the best job in the world just to have something it, like it, that. It was without a doubt, um, you know, and I took pride in it. I, I loved doing it. I like to the point, you know, you have to, you're the clubby, so you have to walk around and pick up yeah. dirty clothes, towels, clean spikes. Um, if they need something from the gas station, you know, you have to go and do all that. But yeah. 
for me, I was so like immersed just being in that atmosphere that, man, I was like a, like, I don't even know, like a, a bouncy ball bouncing off the wall. Like I was just yeah. going a hundred miles an hour. Like I'd make a run through the locker room, pick stuff up, drop it off and then go right back in to see if anything was in there. Just cause it was like, I wanted to soak up this experience as much as I could. But yeah, man, it was, it was incredible, you know, and I met, I met so many cool people doing it, um, learned a lot, you know, once in a lifetime thing that for me, it's like, regardless if I ever play in the big leagues, I can at least say I had that, that experience to look back on. Exactly. I mean, how there's only a limited amount of people that can ever say I was in a major league dugout. And, you know, yeah. You know, my, the way I like to joke about it too, is, um, I like to say, Hey, I was a, uh, important part of that game because if I don't go out there and pick up the bat, then they're not going to continue playing because nobody else can pick it up. So yeah. that that's kind of my running joke on on the level of importance that I held. Yeah, yeah, that that's awesome, man. So I'm gonna give you the I'm gonna give you the floor now to promote anything you want to promote, say anything you want to say, summarize anything, anything you want to say right now. The the floor is yours. Yeah, man. I just uh, you know I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad we were able to connect. And finally do this podcast. Uh, I love, I love to talk, love doing podcasts, kind of sharing my experiences and, and hopefully helping somebody out or, uh, you know, give them a little bit of inspiration as well. If you want to follow me on social media, I know you can probably attest to this, but man, I yep. love just the content. Uh, I try to do a lot of content on a lot of different things. Uh, so you can follow me on social media, Carson Lee five I'm on Instagram. I have a Twitter that's Carson dot Lee or dash Lee five, I think is what it is. Mm. Um, you know, I do my 1% athletics has a, has an Instagram page. It's 1% underscore athletics. And then I also do YouTube and podcasting. So that's all under uh 1% athletics as well for anyone that wants to check any of that out. Yeah, but man. I appreciate you for having me on, man. Yeah, our pleasure to have you on, man. I, this is a great, great conversation to have. Just quickly, where can they find the uh, the podcast? And I think you were doing some Twitch streaming recently too, right? Oh, yeah. So the podcast, uh, my podcast is 1% Academy. Um, it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, YouTube, and then SoundCloud. SoundCloud's where I host it from. Okay. And then, yeah, I just started Twitch streaming uh few nights ago i just picked it up it's kind of fun i think i'm gonna stick to doing it and i think my twitch stream is is carson lee five it's it's twitch.tv or whatever it is um and carson lee five is the is the profile name so you can find me on there too um i play 2k and and call of duty yeah man i'm kind of i'm kind of everywhere hey it's good to be involved with everything that way when something blows up you're there yeah, exactly, exactly. So I just like to connect with people and, and, and build relationships, man. Yeah, 100%. Definitely, definitely agree with that. Thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we're back. First off, I want to start by thanking Carson for coming on. I really enjoyed talking to him, especially towards the end there. And I think kind of untraditional around here. Instead of starting at the beginning, we're going to start at the end of that one because I don't <laughs> know how you could ignore have getting to throw a bullpen session with David Price in the middle of Minute Maid Park or having Daniel Nava give you and your father uh, BP passes at Fenway Park. I, that's kind of hard to ignore. 
Yeah, that is hard to ignore. And those are just some really interesting stories. Uh, it's kind of what I teased about in the beginning a little bit is just talking about thinking about how this guy kind of comes from these beginnings in baseball where he's, you know, working for these teams and, and he's the bad boy. And it's just really interesting overall to hear these stories you know oftentimes you don't think about professional baseball players on these terms you don't think about you know a guy like david price being a nice guy you know daniel Nava just being a nice guy you know you don't really think about it in that way because you see him on tv and especially david price you know big superstar uh you're, you're certainly not thinking about it uh in the same way as you would think uh about other guys and so it was really interesting that he was able to bring that perspective to to the interview really something that added a lot to me it, and gave me a lot of respect to those guys that he talked about, Napoli and all those guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, I don't know how you can't respect David Price and uh, Dustin Pedroia. And if really, it seems like all the players, that's, that's first name starts with a D when you come down to it. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you how you can't respect those guys. I mean, they, they went above and beyond and everything. And then I also like how he's talking about Evan Longoria. Uh, yeah. You know, Brad Peacock gets him out the first time and then, the same situation comes up and he broke down exactly how the last at bat went and then, you know, he takes him deep. So I it just is it's very interesting to see that whole dynamic and to see everything about it. And I think that also kind of contributes to uh, Carson's viewpoint. I think seeing how these major league guys, you know, work at it made him double down the mindset he was saying he adopted in high school of the you know the one percent better every day nose to the grindstone i mean in my notes here after listening back through when i was editing the interview the thing mm -hmm. that pops up to me here is uh i i wrote down hashtag no off days because the yeah. guy like he said i i really don't take off days i just kind of I'm always working at getting better. And that was something of of interest to me there that he just yeah, got this nose to the rock grindstone type thing. Yeah, especially for a guy in the Pecos League and uh, dealing in those lower levels. Sometimes, you know, it's as we talked about with Joe, uh, you know, guys will go in with a different type of mindset with a, you know, you're owed something type of mindset or, you know, something uh, is, you know, supposed to be given to you in these leagues. And really, it's something that's quite interesting to have a guy who's seen it at the highest level, see the mindset of these major leaguers superstars like evan longoria and david price and see that mindset and say this is how i have to go about working this is how i have to go about it if i want to continue to get to the next level and continue to work uh, at my craft so i think that is really something that i found uh, that you know you really highlight that's really interesting and i found that uh, quite compelling as well because I mean, you just often don't hear about what goes into it, right? I mean, it's easy to look at a guy's production on the field and say, oh, he did X, Y, or Z, and he's good. But there's so much that goes behind the scene. There's hours of understanding the game, understanding those little things that really make, um, you know, the ball players great and make, uh, you know, guys great. So that's what... I think makes these type of things important to me is if he can come on, come in with this perspective, then, you know, that might be able to tell some guys who need that perspective, uh, show them the way to do it. That professional, uh, you know, drive, no off days kind of way to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And his whole mindset just a little bit better every day. I think that's also a very healthy mindset to have. Cause I, yeah. I think I mentioned in the interview how a lot of people, they'll see they have this overarching goal of where they want to be. And mm -hmm. I think especially nowadays, because you have social media and everyone's guilty of it, they just start flashing their successes online. And yeah. that you just kind of make the connection you had of, 
oh, well, they got it. If I'm better than they are, or I'm at least equal to they are, I should be able to get it fairly quickly. There shouldn't be much, you know, stopping me. It's fairly easy to get because they're not showing you the work that goes into that. Or you're not mm-hmm. paying as much attention to all the work that goes into it. So you just kind of think overnight it's going to happen. You, people going to the gym and whatnot. You don't see the two months of going into the gym. You just see the two months of results. You don't see right. someone. You just see the new car. You don't see the months of work to get the payments for the car. You right. don't see, like you see a successful business. You don't see all the hours put into that business. And I think sure. having that just a little bit incrementally better mindset it's just healthier because you if you just focus on that macro goal, then you're going to get bogged down a lot. You're going to go, you're going to start doubting. You're going to start blaming other yeah. things. It's not going to be a healthy way of looking at stuff because you had an unrealistic expectation to begin with. But if right. you just set those minor goals, you start hitting those minor goals. It's a lot healthier of a mindset. You go, okay, this is an accomplishment. Let me move on. Let me keep going. Align it with how if a kid does something well, you're warm like a piece of candy or something like that. Uh-huh. It's a minor accomplishment. It's a minor reward. So you feel that like little bit of a boost from saying, okay, I accomplished this onto the next thing. It's not a major celebratory thing, but you know, it's, it's a little bit of a celebration because you accomplished a goal for a day and you yeah. got a little bit better for that day. Absolutely. I mean, and that's what it's all about really in life, but in, in baseball, but in life in general is, you know, taking those incremental steps. And I think he really does a good job of hitting the nail on the head. And you did a great job explaining it of, you know, with baseball and with anything else, if you look at the the dream, right, the dream is making it to affiliated ball or making it to the MLB or, you know, hitting 500 or, you know, when obviously nobody's hitting 500, but hitting 350 or whatever it is, right? Whatever your goal may be. Um, if, if you decide to take the, if you look at that goal and you only focus on doing that, right? But you don't focus on, like you're saying, those little incremental steps of doing that and the work that goes behind those incremental steps. And also it it sets, like you're saying, it sets the stage for if you fail, because you inevitably will, it's not necessarily failing at this really wide ranging level. It's okay. So I didn't meet my task for that day, right? I went 0 for 4. I didn't meet my task for that day. Um, But maybe I got a little bit better on defense, you know, you, so there's there's ways to do things where it's not if you're not thinking about in this monumental thing, it's an everyday approach that it's easier when you inevitably do fail because uh, baseball is a game of failure. Right. If you go the, the old saying is you go one for three for your entire life, you fail three times or uh, two times uh, out of three at bats. You're uh, you're a Hall of Famer. So, you know, certainly something that's really important to think about. And he brings a, a very important mindset to the game and especially to independent league baseball where that grind is really one day at a time. You cannot take it any more than that because you're not promised any more than that. Yeah, exactly. And I think he brought, I remember he brought that up as well. He's like, yeah, I thought, okay, I'm an indie ball, but I'm going to be an affiliated ball soon. And then once I'm an affiliated ball, I'll cruise right through that. He had to reevaluate that. He had to reset yeah. that. And I thought, again, that just kind of goes to that, generally speaking, that general mindset. And I just thought, I thought it was something that was very intriguing because I didn't really totally understand what exactly the whole 1% athletics thing was. But uh, when you started explaining and everything and the whole mindset behind it, I started to get a lot more behind it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think that that's a good business model to have, too. If that's what you're trying to instill in guys, mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately what will have results more so than, you know, kind of 
promises of you're going to be in this league or you're going to be able to do this. No, we'll make you one. We'll make you a little bit better every day. I think that's a good business model. Exactly. I mean, slow, steady improvement. I mean, slow and steady is the better way of going about it. You know, yeah. You no can doubt. do peaks and valleys, but if you're just a steady, you know, incline, you'll get further. But then also I kind of got walking through it. Uh, particularly at the end of it, uh, the one percent uh, discussion, right before the whole Astro stories, when he was talking about uh, the hard work ethic versus talent, I almost got the sense of like a chip on the shoulder type thing, but not in a bad way. In yeah. the way of okay, we have these guys out here; they've been able to get by on talent all the way up to this point, and I've had to work harder than they have because I haven't had the talent. I mean, he said openly, I'm not the most talented guy. I got most of what I got just off of working hard and putting my nose to the grindstone, doing all the things right. And I I think he takes that mentality and uses that as fuel to try and push himself up higher, which is the way to use it. It's the the way to go about doing that. It is. It's the way to go about doing it. And and that's absolutely right. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, we I've seen it throughout my whole life. The guy who was the town hero uh, when he was in high school gets to, you know, college and playing D1 ball. And, oh, wait, what do you mean everyone is just as talented and hit, can hit a fastball just as far as I can, uh, is just as fast as I am uh, or is better than I am. And so that's when it gets, you know, you have to delineate. You have to have some talent, and he inevitably does, right? There's no doubt that he does. But you're right in the sense that, and he's right in the sense that, that when you get to a certain level, talent matters only so much. You could be the most talented guy. I mean, think about, especially, you know, in baseball, it happens over and over again. You see a guy get drafted in the first round, and he just doesn't have what it takes uh, to be that great player. Now, maybe that's not work ethic, but a lot of it, I think a lot of times, it's, it's work ethic. And just to use a football reference, it's like, you know, Ryan Leaf, not having that right mentality, you know, could be as talented as all get out. But if you don't have the right mentality, you're not going to work every day uh, thinking about it as, uh, you know, this is what I have to do to get better, to take that one percent step every day um, to be cliched there. I think then you really have kind of a problem on your hands in terms of, you know, you really need to reevaluate and take a step back and look at that mentality. So, yeah, that is absolutely interesting as well. I agree with that. I think, though, a better football comparison will be a player that you're a little bit familiar with, at least for a while this would work, a Johnny Manziel type. That, oh yeah, that just—it's you know, we we know how Johnny is, and it's he's fun, yeah. but I right. yeah, absolutely can you know, kind of lacks in terms of how much he actually cared about the game itself. Exactly, yeah, but I I agree with the I agree with your point. It's there's a, there is a point where talent doesn't it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's hard work's going to beat it out because everyone's equally as talented, and that's what each level of the next step on on baseball is designed to do. You know, it's college ball is designed to filter out the guys that aren't good enough to play professionally. Indie ball is designed to filter out the guys that aren't good enough to play affiliated. Affiliated ball at each level is designed to filter out the guys that don't belong on that level. And then once you get to Major League Baseball, those are the top of the top. There's millions of people across the world that play baseball. And there's millions of people that are competing for... Let's see, a 25-man roster spot on 30 major league clubs. So yep. that doesn't the math doesn't work out very favorably if you're in the millions of people. And no, it I mean, if you want to compare all professional baseball jobs, cool. Now there's a couple, think was there about 10,000 jobs roughly, and yep. 
cool. So you have 10,000 jobs, though, well over 2, 3 million people that want to play baseball across the, not just across the U.S., but across the world. You have so many people competing for such a limited amount of jobs. They're designed to filter out the guys that, A, just don't have what it takes to, to hack it, and B, the guys that don't want to put in what it takes to hack it. You know, yep. it, that's what it's designed to do. And I think that, I think that kind of shows. It does. It does. It shows. And it's, it's guys that have a, a mindset like this, that, that often make it to the next level, or at least uh, wind up being successful in some facet of the game of baseball, um, whether it's within playing baseball or managing or doing anything like that. This is how you, you know, continue to build upon that hard work. Um, and you, you know, we've seen it time and time again with these interviews. And I think it's, it's a common thread throughout these interviews is that hard work, that determination, that passion is ultimately what has the results, especially at the independent level and not necessarily just being the most talented guy out there because there are a lot of talented guys in independent league baseball. There's a lot of them. Uh, but, you know, if you don't have that, next step uh mentality then you know how are you gonna kind of do that exactly i think i do want to switch to just uh, a little bit of a different topic about the interview here before we wrap up talking about it entirely i was interested to see how he was saying about how the COVID's affected routines and whatnot i've know i've seen a lot of that on social media guys doing improvised workouts and whatnot and I was wondering how that effect on those routines is going to affect the quality of play. Not just so much in indie ball, but across really all sports now when we see them start to come back. Because you have people yeah. that are in essentially their off-season right now, and they're not able to work out and get ready and be in the same routine as they normally would be in an off-season. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that whole on what the quality of play could look like when we eventually do get sports back. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he raises a good point, and I think that's very true, right? I mean, I think especially pitchers more so than anybody else are creatures of habit, especially you know, starting pitchers. You know, five it's five days. Uh, if they're starting, it's every five days. They're either you know they're throwing a bullpen on um, their off some of their off days, and they're getting ready. And yeah, I think absolutely we'll see a uh, a downgrade in in play, or just I don't even know about a downgrade in play, but you just see, see people who are less comfortable out there because they won't have their routines. I mean, any sport. We don't. It doesn't even have to just be baseball. It could be any of these sports that we're talking about. It, they're all, you know, manifested by routine and kind of that the idea of having that repetition over and over again. You know, it, it, the, there's famous stories about great baseball players, you know, taking round after round after round of batting practice, sometimes after games even um, are done. And so, you know, Michael Jordan taking shot after shot after practice was over and playing one on one after practice is over. And, you know, you have all of these things that are done and, and routines that help to build up players to be at their very best. Um, and even, you know, just like eating at a specific time, being at a specific place can throw players out of whack. And, you know, to, to have that happen will certainly impact both the mental uh, kind of aspects of the game. People will be a lot less locked in, a lot less focused because I have to be worried about other things. You know, uh, I'm going to, there'll be, especially if we do the thing that major league baseball is talking about where we kind of lock people in their houses a little bit or keep people away from their families, put them in hotels. Um, 
and keep them away from their families and keep them away from everybody and they just play uh if that actually happens if that comes to fruition you know that that's going to mess with the psyche of so many of these players who have to think is my significant other okay is my wife okay are my kids okay and i'm here you know trapped in this you know, hotel room. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of problems that would come with this. So, yeah, I think that's a, a, a something we haven't talked about a lot is how messing up routines for creatures of habit will go and really impact kind of the way they play, but also just their all mental uh, stability and, and just focus for the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think the, any plan that involves just isolating players inside a hotel is going to be all too feasible. Uh, but we'll wait and see on that. But regardless, I do think messing with these routines is going to affect the quality of play. There's just no real way around it because you're going to have, like you say, guys thrown out of whack. They're not going to be in the routine. They're not going to be up to game speed. They're going to obviously have a little bit of time to get up to game speed, but they're going to have to do that fairly quickly. Especially because you don't want to waste time. Because if one person gets it while you're getting up to speed, or things get worse while you're getting up to speed, then, well, you got to shut everything down. And if you shut it down a second time, it's basically the death nail at that point. But regardless of that, I don't really see it. I don't see any way you're you're going to have uh, the, the hotel plan work. But I don't see, I also don't see any way we're going to see the kind of quality of play across any sports league that we're used to, at least in the no. beginning. That that's just something that's not going to happen. Just because, sure. like I said, the guy the guys aren't going to be in game shape. They're not going to be up to speed yet, and their off season. Well, it's essentially their off season trainings are thrown all out of whack. So you factor yeah. all that in. In the beginning, it's going to be rough. Now, a couple weeks in, a, about a month in, I'd say, then we're going to start seeing a lot of things go back to normal. A lot of things getting up to speed. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and the other thing to think about is. If somebody, if early on, you know, as you suggest, that people aren't going to be in top physical form, there's going to be more injuries. I mean, that's just the way it is. There's going to be more injuries. And, you know, sacrificing players' health in that way is just as bad as sacrificing their health in other ways. So, I mean, if you can't get them to the point where they're able to play and not have fear serious fear of injury because they're so out of whack then uh, it just doesn't seem like a feasible thing to do right i mean especially i mean especially for independent league baseball guys who aren't getting you know especially in like the frontier league and the american association where they're not getting necessarily the same type of uh medical kind of treatment that other players may be getting right especially in the Pecos league right you're not getting that type of medical treatment it's not to say that they're bad leagues or anything but they're just not getting that atlantic league uh level medical treatment or obviously associ uh, associated affiliated baseball um and certainly not major league baseball so i mean you're dealing with a lot of complex issues there and i think you're right to the sense that if it starts It'll it'll start slow. Guys will not be playing at the the same high level, but they will play themselves into a routine, into shape. Um, but again, how many guys would get hurt as a result of that? Exactly, and that's a that's a very valid point there. But you did mention the Pecos League, and I want to jump to that really quickly because that and then I just want to talk about his D one experience, and then we can move on to the little bit of news that there is that does exist. Uh, but the, his experience in the Pecos League is something I found interesting. First and foremost. The way they structure the schedule is just something that's extremely stupid to me. 
uh, a home series and an away series and a home series and an away series just seems extremely stupid. Uh, it seems like a road trip and a homestand would work way more effectively. I'm not sure budgetarily wise what makes the most sense there. I'm not sure if it has something to do with field availability and their agreements with cities and whatnot, but it just seems extremely stupid to me. Yep. Uh, regardless of that, though, his experiences are it's extremely interesting to me. How it, it seems like depending on what team you're on depends on if you get a horror story or not. Where you're yep. saying, look, Cal City was in a desert, there was nothing to do, then Monterey is beautiful. It just it seemed very interesting there. And I the more I hear, the less horror stories I hear, which makes me reevaluate the way I look at the league. And right. I I can't I can't tell what side I lean towards more. I'm finding myself drawn more towards the middle and coming back off my original position of uh it's a it's not the best league and it's whatever and I'm being drawn more to it's a grind league, it's not the most traditionally ran league, but more often than not you'll be you'll be more or less fine. Is where I kind of find myself and it's very it's an interesting perspective I'm starting to get. Absolutely. I think it really these interviews to me, right? We started with Joe and we got one perspective and then, you know, we, we keep going on. We've had different perspectives over and over again. And, and I think to me, we're getting a complete picture now. And I think it's very important to have that complete picture because we do want to be fair to the Pecos League. And I think that when you see the complete picture, there's so many different, you know, type of stories. And sometimes you hear those stories, like you said, that are horror stories. And, but sometimes you have just great experiences and guys that just really liked it. Um, and, you know, obviously that doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult. It was, it, there's no one suggesting this league isn't, like you said, a grinder league and is challenging. But I do think that there are, you know, guys who will have a positive experience there and have had positive experiences there. So it, it's just, a, it's not, I think it, I think it's kind of put best as a league that maybe not, Maybe not be for everybody, um, but I, I really thought his perspective was interesting. Um, like you said, it's the, the scheduling is one thing that's clearly not working. Uh, I don't know who that doesn't seem to work. But there's probably, like you said, some type of deeper um, issue behind there, something driving that. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I think that he is some. Uh, you know, he gives a good perspective that shows really the, the the league is complicated and, and and it's a it's a we have to have a complicated kind of full scope look at it and we can't just say ah oh, it's bad you know i think it's too easy i think there's something too easy about saying ah it's just a bad league because it has produced guys who move on throughout indie ball and you know and there are people who are saying positive things about it so we can't ignore those those voices um and i i think he's it, it, what was particularly interesting is the difference in how he's saying one place is good and one place is not so good. And to me, that really does uh, seem to make a lot of sense because it's all about how the individual teams are run and your own personal experience with that team. So if you have a manager that's good um, and maybe the team has a little bit more funding, a little bit more money than another team and also specific locations, right? If you're out in the middle of the desert, like you said, uh, you know, it's going to be a little bit different than your in other places. So it makes a lot of sense to me that 
you know, there's a this is a compli- complicated situation with the Pecos League, and it doesn't mean that there that it's a that it's going to be a top tier league anytime soon. But certainly, it, it may be un- maybe the, the way that I've characterized it personally in the past, it's been a little bit unfair. But I I, I think we as we get more interviews and more information, we get a, a broader scope, um, and I think that leaves us some leeway to to really take a look at the full scope of the league. Yeah, no, definitely. And Carson was also saying that this kind of reputation that's about it affects the players in the league because it gives off the appearance that the players aren't as good, which is something we I know we've been conscious about, but we've been saying the guys in the league are very good. It's the league that we have more or less our issues with. But I think he brought up a good point with the optics of it. But like you say, it is a complex issue. And more, moreover, it's just... Uh, there's a lot of facets to this that are very complex. So having to look at it from multiple angles is important, but it it definitely seems like my opinion at the very least is, is starting to change on the matter. Yeah, mine too. I think my opinion is, is becoming more informed. Uh, and, and maybe it be, as through be, that information is changing, is shifting anyway. Exactly. And uh, I just want to wrap up the Carson interview with just a little bit of talking as D1 Ball and how he said that kind of prepared him for his experience in Quebec when he was playing there and how he was like getting all pumped up by the atmosphere and just the atmosphere of playing Division One baseball and how that really got him going into routines and everything and, and that whole experience. Yeah, I think that Division One baseball, the atmosphere around it, as he talks about, is really a great way for guys to experience baseball. You know, some people have told me that it's you know the purest, one of the purest forms of baseball is that D one. You're just playing uh, for the love of the game. It's guys coming together, um, playing for representing their school, representing one another. And so, yeah, I think what he said was very much in line with that, which is the atmosphere around Division One baseball, the the clubhouse, the the people in the stands, because it's college right i mean college atmospheres at a d1 and a big d1 school uh, really do add something and, and i did think it was interesting that it prepared him for the next level uh you know obviously it's a certainly a jump anytime you go from college to the professional ranks but i think d1 in particular does prepare you pretty well so i think that overall you know there's a lot of uh, good things that can kind of uh, come out of that and I, I did think it was really interesting how he talked about uh, d1 ball yeah, no, definitely. I, and like I was saying in the interview, Division One baseball is essentially semi-pro baseball at this point. You have the facilities, you have the accommodations, you have everything that goes into a lot of some of these minor league teams, only you're just not getting paid. And having that experience playing in those atmospheres definitely are a positive and prepare you for it. But uh, unless there's anything else you want to cover in the interview, I think we can move on to the news here quickly. Yep, sounds good. All right, so we'll end it off by just saying uh, thanks, Carson, for coming on. We we love to have you on, and we'd love to have you on again in the in the future. So, Absolutely. So we'll move now. I just want to make note that teams are doing a virtual opening day. It really is more or less just replaying old games, messages from past players, coaches, staff, and then that kind of thing, and doing some discounts, running some some like giveaway stuff, I guess, or creating custom backgrounds and stuff for you so that's interesting keep a lookout for for all that stuff throughout the weekend and that whole jazz but hitting with the virtual theme the saint paul saints have done some virtual tryouts so anyone from april 24th to may 1st so yes uh 
yeah, yesterday at this point. Uh, you could have submitted a video with the hashtag hashtag Saints virtual tryout. Uh, the Saints manager is going to pick his top three from that tryout, and fans get to vote to see who they want to make the Saints roster this year, or at least the training camp roster, I suppose. So, wow. Yeah, yeah uh, this just seems like uh, I can't tell. Like it's, it's definitely fits their mold and what they do. It seems a little gong showy to me. And it as does. a player, uh, I'm not sure how much I love the idea of submitting a a tryout video, having it picked by a manager, and then being the one of the three guys that is totally dependent on a fan vote to yeah, determine if I have a job. The fan vote is tough. I mean, I just, I'm not sure how much I love that. Plus, when I saw it, the first thing that came to mind is something from the interview I, I did with Pelfrey, which is, I get sent all of these videos and stuff, but it really doesn't tell me too much. It's hard for me to really make too much of a determination on the player without meeting them in person. And that's what came to my mind when I saw this. I was like, uh, how are you supposed to get a good read on any of the guys sending you videos without, you know, being able to meet them in person or see them and you're just going off a workout thing? And that's assuming that you, you're going to have guys that actually are trying to make the team submit a video, which I'm going to assume there's a, a, a large amount of those people. And there's not just a handful of jokesters playing t-ball in their backyard. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's really, you know, I think that's really important, right? <laughs> you have to think about it that way, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's not great to have, uh, to have the fans <laughs> kind of picking and choosing the, your future. Um, but you know what? I think it's, in the times we're in, it's one of those thing that things that just kind of has to happen. Um, you know, it's just a, it's an interesting way to keep fans involved at this point. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a fun little thing. It's just uh, as a player, I'm not sure how much I love the idea of I'm cut not because it wasn't good enough. I'm cut because I lost the fan vote. That that's just the, my only qualm with it. Really, I lost the popularity contest. Yeah. Uh, that must be brutal. But in any case, we can kind of move on now to uh, the Atlantic League statement. They issued a statement yesterday, uh, or two days ago, rather, that said they're going to open parks when it's safe. Uh, they want to play. They thank everyone for the support. You know, it's it's the standard thing. It just reaffirms what we know and what they want to do and how they want to play this year. Um, I, I There's really nothing to glean from that outside of, they want to play, and they don't have really any information, and they're totally dependent on local governments and uh, kind of health officials before they can do anything. So just kind of strap in there because we're not going to have our answer for quite some time. But the more interesting thing that I saw, at least when I was going through all the team sites looking for news this week, was I saw Somerset updated their schedule to now only show the June and later games, and the St. Paul Saints updated their schedule to only show July in later games. So nope. I'm going to try and make a mountain out of a molehill here and say, <laughs> yeah, are they trying to indicate anything? Maybe, right? I mean, maybe uh, I think that clearly we know May is not going to happen. So fine uh, for the Patriots. That makes sense. Just scrap that. Um, now, I mean, if we're going to suggest that there's going to be, you know, starting up in, in July, I mean, you know, it's, 
possible, right? Oh, uh, you kind of need to know, like, I don't know, very, very soon. Um, at least by June 1, we've got to know uh, if that's going to happen because you need to have, like we said, the time to get guys ready so they don't have to worry about injuries um, if it does happen. So, uh, yes, I mean, you can read something into it. Maybe they know something. But the reality is the virus is going to dictate and the local and state governments are going to dictate a lot of it. So it'll be hard to really pin it down one way or the other. Yeah, no, I mean, plus they need they need a lead time for a lot more than just players, just getting the ballpark ready and getting all the staff back and uh, getting everything just up to up to have fans in the buildings and having all their preventive measures and everything up and running. They're going to need lead time on it. But yeah, I, I agree with it. There's really, it's dictated by the virus more than anything. But just the more interesting bit here, at least for me, is seeing that the American Association team decided, okay, July's our most likely start date, while the Atlantic League team's going, maybe June's still potentially in the picture. That was the more interesting thing for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, maybe, right? Maybe you could have, the, I think there's an, certainly an idea that this region that we're in now, in this northern New Jersey uh, region, in, uh, is starting to come out of it uh, a little bit. Uh, I think our numbers are dropping, have dropped the past couple of days in terms of new cases. So I think that there's an idea that maybe we are starting to round the corner. So that, you know, potentially geographic shifts could have something to do with it there. However, I mean, I think ultimately it's just teams, you know, trying to give fans some uh, for the Patriots. I think it's a little bit of uh, wishful thinking, perhaps, uh, by the Patriots to leave the the June up there. I mean, because I don't know if I see. Yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, it's probably just some housekeeping work where they're going, okay, uh, they just can't clear off the dates we already know off the bat aren't any good, and let's kind of move from there. It's more than likely what it probably is, but uh, you know, it is what it is. We'll wait and we'll see, and hopefully something will come of it. But uh, last bit, I believe, for the no, not last bit for the Atlantic League. Uh, Next thing, keeping with the Atlantic League, uh, Sugarland is doing a blood drive at their ballpark May 4th and May 5th from 9 to 3 at, yeah, like I said, at the ballpark. Uh, if you could donate blood, you could do that. Because I know people are, are there's a lot of organizations in need of blood at the moment, too. So, uh, last yeah. little bit of last bit on, of news, if you don't have anything to add to that. Nope. Okay. Uh, Long Island, uh, they did a little bit of an interview with uh, Newsweek uh, alongside Rick White. And they were talking about how they would need to put three seats in between each fan if they were to reopen the ballpark or when they reopen the ballpark to keep with the social distancing. And that would be about two-thirds capacity lost in each ballpark in the Atlantic League. So it would definitely take a major hit out of ballparks that you know normally seat between 5,000 and 6,000 fans when you can only get about 2,000 fans in there. That's going to yeah. hurt the wallets, but it's a lot better than... Uh, not having anybody in there and getting no yeah. revenue whatsoever. I mean, you'd hope that you could at least make enough where you can cover the expensive bills. Yeah, I mean, I think that two, two, if you're able to get 2,000 fans in the ballpark, it becomes worth it. And people want to show up. for. I mean, I think people would feel genuinely safe i mean you know some people would at least feel genuinely safe if they're that social distance in that way from people especially in an open air environment like a ballpark now we've talked about it before there are the little issues which are as a little of restrooms and food and all of these concessions and all these different things but you know all of that would have to be worked through as well but i think the most important thing to think about is you know 
do people feel secure going in the ballpark and doing what they're, you know, what they're going to do is go sit there, right? And everything else is kind of ancillary. So can can we get to the point where that happens? I, I think so. I Certainly in this region, I do think things seem to be moving in a positive direction for some kind of new normal. Uh, I think the leadership in the, this region has talked about that a lot, is trying to get to the point where we can reach some kind of new normal. And if for there to be a new normal, you know, we got to have some baseball. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's just no, there's no other way to go around that you need to be you need to be safe be enough people that will say okay it's fine i can i'm gonna at least go to one game because i need to do something because i'm just i'm too stir crazy and like i said we need baseball back entirely so yep that's a major factor and then the last thing on the docket for this week uh there was an a article from i believe the star tribune mm-hmm. up in minnesota that Gave one interesting detail on the whole Saints going to affiliated baseball thing, which would also possibly affect Sugarland as well. Apparently, to become affiliated, you need to pay money. And Ooh. more so from that, if you want to move up a level in affiliated ball, so say go from single A to double A, you have to pay a fee for that as well. And it's not a cheap fee. For the Saints, it would be you'd have to pay $20 million to go from independent to affiliated. Yeah, I don't foresee that happening. <laughs> so let's establish everything on the Saints front here. They've said, we have no desire to be affiliated. They have said, we enjoy being independent. We have 27 years of independent league baseball history here. That's worked very well for us. And they'd have to pay $20 million to become a Twins affiliate, which more than likely would not see their numbers jump all too high as they already are averaging an above max capacity crowd a night. Yeah, I don't think that that would be good business by the Saints right there. I mean, if their attendance numbers, as you said, above max capacity crowd, I mean, give me a break. What are you going to, I mean, you gain nothing. They actually actively gain nothing from becoming an affiliate um, other than maybe, you know, obviously not having to pay the players. Uh, but I mean, if you're paying $20 million, which obviously you're not paying, you're not taking a loan and trying to pay that back. But I mean, still, if you're putting yourself into that much debt, um, because you're not going to pay $20 million up front. So if you're going to put yourself into that much debt, then you know, you're know you probably better off just staying independent, I, I would think. And I, I think you're right. There are ramifications for Sugarland that, I mean, what independent team that's doing well, especially now with the virus, is going to even consider something like that? Exactly. I see the point of, you know, your, your, uh, your evaluation will probably go up higher. You'll be worth more if you're affiliated than, indep- sure. than independent. Sure. But if you bought this team, as I presume a lot of them did, not as an investment or not uh, for something to make money on, but just something that's fun and seemed like something they, they wanted to do, that mm-hmm. seemed like a good idea, or at least just something where it's like, look, I want a baseball team. I'm going to buy a baseball team. Then why would you drop another 20 million in? To increase the value. Yes, certainly you could make some of the money back that you spent. Hell, you can even make money if you spend $20 million and then wind up selling in the future. Because now you know at the very least you have an evaluation of $20 million to figure your worth. Yeah. But at the same time, like you said, that's a lot of debt to go into at a bad time economically speaking. Where I think it's pretty safe to say that if baseball is played this year, then you're going to have a very small crowd, much smaller than you used to. And more than that, even next year, you still may get some people that are going, ah, let me give it a full year before I start going back to sporting events and crowded places. 
I mean, even next year, you could have people who are who have. I mean, if this is not under control by next year, which is possible, right? I mean, it's not impossible to see that happening, mm-hmm. or that this time next year, this is not under control. Uh, and it, you know, you could lose two seasons, or at least you know parts of two seasons. Maybe you play like half a season and half a season, or something like that. But I mean, even if we do that, even if that's done, you know, if you, those teams like the Saints and the Patriots, they're in good financial shape right now. Right. They they can continue to operate, probably could survive the these, uh, you know, if, if they had to at least close for one entire full season, those teams would most likely still survive. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, if you put yourself 20 million dollars into debt during this crisis, I mean, that's just bad business. I mean, even if you have it as an investment, it's bad business. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think that's a good idea at all. And I mean, it, it just there's so much about it that doesn't seem smart. And like you said, it doesn't even have to be that it's not under control at that time. It could just be a second wave hits a little bit later than we thought. Instead of hitting yeah. in the fall, like September, October, a second wave comes and it hits more November, December or December, mm-hmm. January. I mean, if it hits December, January, then OK, even if you say. We, we had a little bit of a reprieve to replenish the stockpiles for all the PPE and stuff. We take that time. We still study the virus. Maybe we get a bit of a better understanding. Maybe we get further along at a vaccine. Maybe we have just have better preparations, defenses, and attacks on this virus the time the second wave hits, it hits a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Still, I'd imagine you're looking at two full lost months. So if it hits December, January, you assume, okay, February, March is gone. April's back in the picture, but I imagine teams will have to at least delay the start of their season by the entirety of May. So oh, now yeah. you're looking at everybody starting in June, so you lose all May revenue. Is that a huge yep. hit? Probably not this Titanic hit, but it is certainly one that you'll notice at the end of the end of the year when you're looking through the margins. And it's, <laughs> especially if you're paying twenty million dollars to to oh, become a uh, affiliated, affiliated franchise. Team. Oh, and absolutely. And also, it's going to be something if you lost this entire previous season, too, because you have yeah. even less of a reserve now. It just, it, the, that amount is too high. Now, maybe you it can is. negotiate it. Maybe you can knock it down to, say, $8 million, and then all of a sudden, okay, well, that becomes a little bit more reasonable and makes a little yeah. bit more sense. But still, I just don't see that happening. At least for the for the Saints, I just I there's no world I can picture them becoming affiliated in which they are at the very least still doing good business. And right at the moment, they're doing great business. So yeah, and they're a staple in the community already. I mean, they don't need to right. Like a team that that could benefit from there are some teams that could benefit from this that would see their attendance numbers jump. But like. I mean, even like a like the high point, like high point, right? If they were to become affiliated, and they haven't been rumored, and I'm not suggesting it, but I'm just saying that because they really haven't had a foothold in the community yet, they could see a good jump from that. But I mean, like you said, after 27 years, people know the Saints are there, and they go and watch Saints baseball, and they love it. Okay. So there's really no no world, like you said, that I could see that happening. Exactly, 100 percent there, and like I said, if, even if, and I'm just going to continue on your example of, of high point there. Like, high point, if, let's say, they put an age league team in Charlotte, that would make sense then, okay? You know, it's not it's not that far away. If you put a team in Charlotte, you have a double-A affiliate in high point, it would make some sense. And like you said, yeah. it, would probably, it would help them out a little bit, especially after a little bit of a rocky attendance start in their first year and then a pandemic in their second year. It would make some sense. That said, still, it doesn't make much sense, at least at this time, for the teams that are being discussed. And so, nope. I did. 
I'm gonna we're gonna pass on that. And so I was originally planning on talking about the really my top ten indie ball teams that I put out last night, but because we are running a little bit long here, we're at nearly fifty minutes of discussion talk on top of about a fifty-five minute long interview. And I don't want this to run on terribly long. We'll backburner that for next week. And it will give you a week even to come up with the top 10 teams you see in uh, independent league baseball for whenever we do get playing. Sounds good. I'll be I'll be on it and I'll have my list ready. I'll put it out on the Instagram. All right. So with that said, I think that's the perfect segue into some plugs because you can find my co-host's inter- uh, Instagram, not interview. I'd have, I guess it's kind of an interview type thing. I, I suppose, but regardless, you can find his Instagram at IndieBallJames on Instagram. You can find the main one, IndieBallReport, also on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter as well at IndieBallPod, and you can find everything we do, articles, videos, podcasts, show notes, graphic designs, just about anything and everything under the sun on our website, www.IndieBallReport.com, and you can find YouTube videos on the YouTube channel, IndieBallReportPodcast on youtube and then if you want to find the podcast on other podcatchers you can do so wherever you find podcasts that includes TuneIn, stitcher spotify podomatic apple podcast google play all of it everywhere you find it we're there so be sure to like rate review and subscribe for more content and to help the podcast grow that said do we have anything else left to add uh, same thing as I do every week. Just want to thank all of our uh, first responders, EMTs, uh, emergency workers, everyone for being out there, Sh- uh, ShopRite clerks, everything, everybody stocking shelves, truck drivers, everybody. Uh, I want to thank you all for that. Um, you've done uh, a lot of great work in keeping the United States going during this very, very difficult time. And the work you are doing is uh, you know, absolutely honorable. And we want to thank you for that. Yep, and I'm going to the single out the garbage men, or the garbage collectors, rather, for this week. That's a job that's really unsung, but normally, under regular circumstances, it's a, it's not the most uh, glamorous job to have, taking other people's trash. But now, especially, it really isn't fun, because who knows what's in that trash, and what kind of disease and shit is around there. So, right. thanks to them for taking the trash, and like, like you said, thanks to everyone that on the front line combating this disease or is deemed an essential employee especially those essential employees who are not being paid like essential employees so that said nothing else left to add you know the drill until next time don't forget to play ball